if, if I can be honest with you, which would seem like the bare minimum I can do, Philippians 4 has been one of the hardest passages for me to preach. I think from the Old Testament and the New Testament and the stories of Jesus and any of these things, this has been one of the hardest passages to preach because week after week, the message that Paul shares with us just assaults my heart. It just comes after my heart at the weak places, at the strong places, at all the places that I try to hold on to things. It keeps coming and it keeps coming. He's not talking about behavior. Passages that talk about behavior I can handle that say, do this and don't do that and don't do this and do this and act this way and live this way. I can handle that because I can look at my life and say, I do do that or I don't do that or I'm lined up and I've done these things, right? And I can be proud even as those things. But in Philippians 4 at the end of this letter, Paul is not talking about behavior, but he's talking about our heart. At times in my study, as, as I'm preparing these, I just want to throw my notebook across the room, right? right? Sometimes I do throw it across the room, right? So be careful if you come visit. But uh, Because there's nothing like the Bible that can expose the, that can expose the idols in our heart. And Paul has done that, I think, and I've thought about that this week as I've seen all the floodwaters go down. If you go and look and drive around the places and see where the floodwaters come up, if you go down to Pennington Park, you can see the bridge now, but you couldn't cross the bridge. Why? Because it's covered in tree limbs and sand and trash and everything else that is picked up and brought with it along the way, right? And when something that powerful like water comes through, it just takes everything else with it, right? When the Word of Christ, when, when Jesus comes into our heart, and when the Word of God, through Bible study and prayer and Scripture study and memorization, all those things, when it comes into our heart, it comes in like a flood. And often, when it comes in, it picks up all these things that we, we didn't even know were there. Right? It sweeps out all of that trash, all of those things that we hold on to our heart. And, and Paul has done that in Philippians. He spent the last several verses in at the end of Philippians, thanking the church at Philippi. But he says earlier in the chapter, in verse 4, in chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. He says, Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. Right? Be anxious for nothing, he says. Okay, Paul, now we're getting personal. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God. And the Peace of God, he says, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And he just keeps getting more personal. And then he's been thanking them for their gift. And, and he says, not that I speak in respect of want, he says in verse 11, because I have learned wherever I am and in whatever circumstance I am to be content. If I have a lot, I know how to handle that, he says. If I have a little, I know how to handle that, he says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It seems like these words of Paul just keep coming at me and I trust and I know because the Word of God does not return void that it keeps coming at you too if you're listening to what Paul is saying. It's coming at you too. And, and he's thanked this church at Philippi, but he, he wants them to know that he's not dependent on their gift. right? He's told them that no matter what they gave or didn't give to him, that he would still be content, that he would still be happy because he's 
learn to be content, he says. No matter what he has or what he doesn't have, he'll be content. Contentment, if you remember, he says in verse uh, 12, I think think that is right, in verse 11. Contentment is a feeling that is, is independent of our circumstances. No matter what's going on around us, it's a satisfaction, we said, that holds your mind in peace. Regardless of what goes on around you, regardless of if you've got a literal or if you've got a lot, you are still content. You're even keeled. You're resting in God. And the question that comes clearly from the passage is, are you satisfied in God? Are you satisfied in God? Yes, maybe you think your car isn't the nicest or, or your health isn't the greatest or, or things could be better in your life or your marriage is just okay or your walk with God is better than some. But Paul is not apathetic about it. Paul is content. And the church at Philippi has sent Paul a gift and he was thankful for it, but he didn't need it. And he's still glad they gave it. And he says, starting in verse 14, you can read with me. Here's Paul, and he just keeps coming after our hearts. And he, 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 a crazy thing is, I don't think he means to. I think this is just how he is. He says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus which you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If you first read it through, it's a little comical at most. He says, thanks for the gift, but I don't need it. But I'm glad you sent it, but I don't need it. But thanks for sending it, he says. He's made it clear his situation doesn't matter. He's saying, in essence, it's better for them to give than it is for Paul to receive. Because Paul says, I have no needs. I'm content, he says. It's, it's, it's not that their gift was insignificant. It's that Paul lived a life that was so totally and wholly dependent on God, that he trusted in God, that he leaned on God, that he relied on God in such a way. This is the essence of Paul's life. If you could sum Paul's, up, sum Paul's life up in a few words, I think you could, say, you could say it lots of ways, but one way you could say it is that he trusted God. No matter where he went, no matter where life took him, no matter if he was shipwrecked, no matter if he was sitting in prison, no matter if he was talking to Herod and the ruling officials, no matter where he was, he trusted God. He lived in such faith that for him, he could say it fully and honestly that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he leaned so fully on God, he pressed so hard into God that he said earlier in Philippians, whatever things were gained to me, those things I count as law loss. I don't need anything else, he said. And these words of Paul come to me as a refreshing word in the midst of our world because we're told constantly that we need something else. You need something else. You need something more. Something more. Something greater. We must have it. Not only do we need it, the world tells us, the world tells us that we deserve it, right? You deserve a break today like anybody ever deserved McDonald's, right? Or that, or that you need to have it your way or that you need to go a place where 
things are done just the way you want, or you need this piece of luxury for yourself. You've worked hard, and you've earned it, and you deserved it. More, 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 the world tells us. And what does Paul come in and say? He says, I've got enough. I've got all I need. And he sits in jail as he says it. He says, I've got all I need. But he can say that because all that matters to Paul is being with God. I love this picture of Paul at the end of this book because he leans so heavily on God. He's never disappointed. Never once does Paul admit that it's not worth it. Nor is he seen sitting there existentially in jail wondering about the meaning of his life that Paul lived with a purpose and that purpose he found in the person of Jesus. It's, it's my privilege as a pastor to go and be with people in the hospital and to pray with them and to share with them and direct them to God. And I've been with all types of people, people who are, who are uh, stalwarts of the church and have, have been there day in and day out and have given their everything to God and people who, who come and go and might be Christian in name only. But, uh, but I've never heard someone lay in the bed in the hospital and say, I wish I hadn't trusted God so much. I wish I had worked harder to get something for myself. I wish I wish I had spent more time at work. They never say that. I wish I had spent more time polishing my bottom line. They never say that. And in in down the reverse, they they never say, I wish I hadn't trusted God so much. I, w- I wish I hadn't have given so much of my time to Him. I wish I hadn't have, have gone to Him over and over again in my time of need and have Him prove Himself over to me over and over and over. Paul, even as he sits in jail, can say this. right? He says, I don't need anything else. But I'm glad you gave it. Why? Because he says in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift itself, I seek the profit which increases to your account. Giving does the church good, does a body good, right, says Paul. Right, you remember those commercials, milk does a body good, right? Even, even though I don't need it, Paul says, I want you to give it because giving does you good. Because to give is to trust God, especially when it's given to God. Make no mistake that they gave to, to, to Paul, but they weren't really giving to Paul, they were giving to God. And Paul says, I received what you sent with Epaphroditus, and he says it's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. They were giving it to Paul, but really they were giving it to God through Paul, right? And then their generosity was and is a test. It's an expression of, of their faith, and it's the same for us as well. Because if we really believe the gospel, if we really believe the good news of Jesus, if we really believe this, then we must believe that there is nothing of greater importance in the spread of the Gospel. We don't know, it doesn't tell us anything, if the church at Philippi was wealthy. We have a few clues from Acts. When Paul went there to start this church, we know that there was probably blue-collar people, that there was probably white-collar people. From other writings of Paul and, and churches like this, there was slaves and there was rich and there was everyone in between but their level of wealth doesn't matter how much you give to god is more a reflection of your faith than of your wealth you might give a hundred thousand dollars and to some people that's nothing but to some people ten dollars is everything right jesus said that that in that 
in the story of the woman who gave her, her, her last pennies, right? All she had. Your outward giving to God is a sign of your inward contentment, right? Are you satisfied? Is your mind held at peace by what Christ has done for you? And can you give to God in such a way, right? Or do you think you need more? Or do you think you need to hold on to it for for yourself? You think you need to hold on for these things, right? And to be clear, God does not need your money, right? God does not need your money. What He wants is your heart. What He wants is your heart. And and for most of us in America, and for most of us probably I could say throughout all of human history, our heart and our wallet are tied awfully close together. There's a string that one's right runs right from one to the other. You can't see it, but it's there. Our outward giving is a sign of our inward contentment. For some, $100 is nothing, and for some, $10 is a lot. It's not about that. It's that you give in a way that you're able to, in a way that shows your trust in God. right? That shows your faith is not in your wealth, but your faith is in God. And to not give is to not trust God. But to give a little or to give a lot. If you notice here, Paul doesn't say how much it was. He, he, he doesn't say, man, I received your gift and that was a lot of money. Thanks, you guys. I don't know how you did that. Because the amount is not important. What is, is how much you trust God. You get the difference. You, 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 you get the understanding that some people can give of their income and not miss it. It's a drop in the bucket. They lose that much in the couch cushions at home, Right? And some people give all that they had, but your outward giving is a sign of your inward contentment if your mind is held at peace with God. And that's what gets me about this last chapter of Philippians is Paul is just continually coming, not at our behavior, but at our heart. He says it's not even about how much you give. It's not about your behavior. It's about your heart. We can deal with behavior, do this and don't do that. But when it comes at our heart, it's a whole different matter. To, to give to God was a sign of faith. To, to give to Paul, to give to God through Paul is a sign of their faith in God. And Paul says it's a credit to their account. The prophet, he says, is to your account. Your giving might be anonymous, right? But God knows. And God keeps track. Not in a big brother is watching kind of way, but in a way that God loves to reward those who are cheerful givers. That God loves to reward those who give out of the abundance of their poverty. That's what Paul has. He has nothing. He has nothing. He sits in jail, but he continues to give them everything he has. And these people might not have had a lot either, but why does God honor this? Why does God credit it? Because our giving is a test of our Christian profession of faith. That Christian charity, that our benevolence is, is, is an investment into something eternal. Early this March, a pastor, I'm sorry, a pastor, put on his website that, um, that uh, he asked, he, a, a video where he asked for 200,000 people to give $300 into his ministry. Why? Because he needed $60 million to buy a Gulfstream jet. That's what God wanted for him, he says. Creflo Dollar. Ask for people, I mean his name's not Creflo Penny, right? Creflo Dollar. Ask for people to give to help him buy a jet so he can travel to spread the gospel, he said. 
this quickly went viral on the internet like things do, and not long after that it was taken down. But just this past week I saw he, he put it back up and said, well, we have high standards of excellence in our ministry, and God wants us to have this jet, and, and He wants you to help us buy it. And so he's asking for this $60 million, right? means I've got a few things to bring up in next business meeting. But, uh, but contrast that with me for a minute with Paul who's in jail, who's in shackles, in prison, and he says, I don't need your gift. He says, thanks, and I appreciate it, but I don't need it. Paul hasn't put up a fundraiser page asking to help people to raise money to get him out of prison. He, he travels all over the world and he sleeps and he makes tents for himself to raise money for himself and and there's people out there, pastors, and I don't think it's right that they call themselves men of God even, asking for this money to buy a jet so they can travel around, right? And here's Paul, who is our example, who is our guide, who is in Scripture, and he sits here and he says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. If Paul can be content in prison. Surely this pastor can be content in coach, right? Surely. But Paul says, I don't need your gift. But, uh, but when you give to me, he says, you're investing not in property. When you give to God, you're investing not in, in property, in tangible things that you can hold on to, but you're investing in something eternal. Because to give because you hope to get something in return is selfish. It's self-centered. We teach our children that. That you give even if you don't think you'll get something in return. But then we turn and we do it, oh God. You give because God deserves your everything. Paul gave his everything and he ended up in jail, right? I've heard too many sermons that sounded in line with this pastor. I've heard sermons saying they preach them from Malachi and elsewhere that they say you give because in the offering time because if you give to a church that God will bless you back. It makes me sick. Paul gave everything he had, and he ended up in jail. You don't hear many sermons like that, even from myself. Make sure and give your offering this morning when the plate comes by. You could end up in jail for it. Our time of offering that we give is not a quid pro quo with God that you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. It's giving to God, even though He doesn't need it, but because He deserves it. That Paul has said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am. Not only that, this, this helps us rely on God, right? To be put in a spot where God must come through or else. Giving does a body good, a Christian body, a church body, because it makes us rely on God. And then Paul says in verse 19, My God, my God, right? That's next week. We'll get to that. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God. This all goes back to the, to the beginning of the chapter, to what Paul says as a Christian should look like. Be anxious for nothing, he says, because God will take care of you. Make your requests known to God, he says, because God will take care of you, because the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Avoid any worries or anxieties, he says, about how you will make it in the world. Rejoice, he says. We can give 
freely. We can give generously in faith because we know that God has our back. We know that Jesus says in Matthew 6 that, that give no thought to tomorrow, He says, for today has enough worries of its own. Amen to that. Today has enough worries of its own. I can't even think about tomorrow. But Jesus is saying, saying it in such a way, you don't even need to worry about tomorrow. God is, is taking care of that. Because as a child of God, I know that God cares for me. For me. If you are here and you don't feel that anyone cares about you, I tell you that God does. This doesn't mean that you can go blow your money at the casino and expect God to grant you, right, to save you. He, he, he gave you what you needed and you blew it. And people do that all the time. But this comes down to the old saying, right, you can't outgive God, right? I dare you to try and do it. And to know above all, Christian, that God is concerned about you. But ultimately, this verse, what Paul says, my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This isn't really about money. This isn't really about money. This is about Jesus. Because if you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. That's the Gospel. That's the promise of the Gospel that we said before. The good news of the Gospel is not God gives you everything you want. It's, it's that God is everything you need. It's that in Him you have everything. And so why do we often go out and we search for more? Because we don't fully know Him. Because we don't fully know who Jesus is. Because in the end, if we trust in other things, it's, it's just for one simple matter. It's because we don't believe Jesus is worth it. Jesus gave the parable in the Gospels of the man who... Who found, a, who found a treasure hidden in a field and went and sold everything he had to go and buy this field. Everything he had. Can you imagine selling everything you have? Right? I go to garage sales and I see what people sell. Most of what we have and what you have, it's just junk. Alright? I mean, it's my junk, but it's just junk. Right? Selling everything you have in order to go buy this field. Why would he do that? His family and friends probably didn't understand him. Why would he do this? Because he knew that what was in the field was more valuable than everything he owned. If we're seeking other things but besides God, it's because we don't believe God is that valuable. It's because we don't believe Jesus is that valuable. This is not ultimately about money. It's ultimately about Jesus. We just sang that this morning. You alone are my strength and my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire. You alone are the real joy giver. You alone are the apple of my eye. Can you sing that? Can you sing those words? All that thrills my soul is Jesus. Can you sing those words and mean them from your heart? We all have lists of, of, of priorities, right? But, but God values you enough to give a son for you. He supplies all our needs according to His riches. Right? Psalms 24 says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Right? He loves us enough to do this for us. Right? Last night I was up here. Sarah had gone to a graduation for her family with the girls and uh, for a cousin and I had a 
Saturday night by myself, and so, so I went to Fishtails and I fixed the church sign, right? And uh, exciting night. And I was hanging this verse on the sign. But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. And I just began to dwell on this. And I was convicted of my desire for more. At home, at church, in my heart. But Paul says, I don't need the gift because I already have everything I need. Is this verse about how much God loves us or how wonderful Jesus is? It's, it's both. It's, it's, it's about both, about praying for Jesus because Jesus is, is enough for you. God values you and He blesses us through a particular channel. Verse 19, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches. Where? In Christ Jesus. God spared not His own Son for you, Romans 8 says. And through Christ all our needs are met. God has all the riches. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Psalm says. We'll be glad you don't have to check that fence, right? God has all the riches and He, he supplies our needs. He blesses us through a specific channel, through a specific source, through Jesus. And when we seek other things to value us, to complete us, to be something to us, even if it's good things, even if it's family, even if it's a healthy church that's busting at the seams, we would think that's something that God wants. But if we want that above Jesus, we're saying to God, your son is not enough for me. I need something else. I need something more. I need to feel completed here. I need to feel loved. I need the church to grow. I need my marriage to be better. I need my health. I need more things. We're turning to God and saying, you gave me everything you had in your son, but it wasn't enough. God has all the riches and He blesses us through His Son Jesus. And the good news of the Gospel is that Jesus is everything we need. This promise applies only to those who are in a particular relationship with God. It's not, it's, it's, it's not for all of us. Yes, the sun rises on the just and the unjust, but this promise has its fulfillment through Jesus and is for those who believe in Him. And it's a promise. And my God shall. My God will. Not my God might. My God maybe. Perhaps God will. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You want that certainty that God loves you that much. Are you seeking other things, even good things? Are you focusing on your behavior and thinking you're all lined up and ignoring your heart? We have a time of response and that's what it is for. I challenge you this morning to search your heart and see if you're turning to God and saying, those other things, God, everything that you've given me, it's not enough even through your Son because I want more. Turn to God through our time of invitation, our song that we're going to sing. And turn to God and say, your Son is enough for me. Give me a satisfaction in that. Remember this verse as we memorize it this month. You see it on the sign as you drive by. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's everything that we need. Would you pray with me?